What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we look to publish, market, and... Have you not got it in front of you? Right. No, I don't. I was Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we discover what makes a best-selling novel while trying to write, publish, and market one in just a year. I'm Mark Stay, a professional. <laughs> I know Mark DeVoe that can't remember the intro to our show. Thanks, Mark. I'm just going to keep rolling because I was yeah. meant to do the intro this week, but Mark just did it for me. Mark, something just happened before we start recording, which I have to tell the audience about. This is why. So we're, we, we're, about, we're about to press the record button on this podcast, and there's this massive crashing noise. And, and Mark starts expletives flying everywhere, and, and he says something about breaking his arm. And I'm like, oh my gosh. This is bit of wait to the end of the podcast. This is why you were completely thrown, isn't it, Mark? It's um now the the arm broke on my cheap Staples office chair, <laughs> which is which has lasted longer than it had any right to, anyway. Um, so yeah, the arm snapped off as I was leaning on it. I clearly need to take some sort of a diet. Uh, is that a post kind of quality street Christmas by any chance? I think it might well be. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of Christmas chocolate there. Um, so yeah, that's completely thrown the both of us. Uh, we're, Has, yeah, we're, yeah. we're all over the place. Yeah. But if so, I just wanted to warn everyone, if you suddenly hear Mark disappear, <laughs> it's like the back legs of the chair are gone and he may be take, carried away by an ambulance. And so, Mark, what's been happening on the Twitter sphere this week? Uh, oh, it's been amazing. We've had some, some loads of great tweets. Uh, our friend Gavin G. Smith, who tweeted us uh, with a question about swords, you may remember. Well, he's been listening to us uh, when he works out in the gym, and he says he equates he now equates our voices with pain. Uh, <laughs> it's not unusual. Good, thanks, Gavin. That's my wife. <laughs> Feel the burn, man. Feel the burn. He also, interesting, he said we should do an episode on self-care, author self-care. I mean, this is something we've mentioned before in earlier episodes. We've kind of glossed over yeah. it, but he's he's right. Maybe we should, particularly when maybe when we get into rewrites. He, it, it's, um, it is something authors don't talk enough about, so I think that's definitely something we should do. Um, our friend Josh Atkinson, who tweets us pretty much every day with his word count. Thank you so much for that, Josh. We love hearing from you. Now, he asked, this is something we mentioned a few episodes ago. Ago, which is the grid that you put together, uh, where we looked at our, the kind of things that we both loved, that, that we were both passionate about, that helped us find a topic to write about for our novel. And we did say we were going to put it online, but it's not quite online yet, is it? Yeah, it's actually quite hidden. And I realize that not many people have found it. So we've updated it and it's a very useful spreadsheet to use if you're thinking about writing about what you're passionate about as, a, as an individual author. But it's also very useful if you're going to collaborate with an author for the two of you to fill out this form independently and learn about what your favorite films, your passions, the things you love, the things you hate. So what I would say is get to either the Facebook page or sign up to the mailing list because I'll be putting out... Uh, a specific link directly to that uh, spreadsheet, which uh, you'll find really useful. So check check that out um, after you've heard this uh, podcast. And a couple of more tweets. Um, Oyin, at Oyinda Aro, uh, she said, I did enjoy this tweet. She said, this is brilliantly funny and educational and shows there's truly no expert on writing. Well, Oyinda, 
if there is an expert out there, it ain't one of us, is it? I mean, it's just, uh, what we're, <laughs> we're learning so much every single week. Um, but thank you for your kind words there, Oyinda. And Jack Harmon is an interesting one. Uh, we had two brilliant guests on last week's show, uh, Federica Leonardis, the, the wonderful agent, and her debut author, Sonia Lally. And just in a kind of a throwaway comment, Federica was saying, oh, maybe, you know, a couple of years ago, everyone was writing Victorian novels, and now they're a bit out of fashion. Um, Jack Jack Harmon, who tweeted us at Jack Harmon, she said, "Oh gosh, you know, I'm uh, I'm thinking of maybe I should stop writing my Victorian novel." I, and I said, "Oh no, 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 don't, you know, don't stop writing." You know, I I think, and I think Federica would tell you that as well. Uh, a, a good novel is a good novel, and it transcends genre. And it goes back to what uh, was said in a couple of our very early episodes, where. Uh, I think it was Juliet Ewers and Sam Eads, the the editors that we spoke to in our, our second episode, I think, where they were saying, don't, you know, don't necessarily follow trends, write what you're passionate about, and then worry about, you know, whether it's hot or not afterwards. I, I think, you know, if if that, Jack, if that's what you're passionate about, keep writing, you know, keep at it. If it's something you genuinely love and if you make it a great book, then it just transcends the genre. It transcends the zeitgeist and people will be reading it anyway. And I think our guest this week shows that you can write in a genre that some people might consider passe or a bit unfashionable and still be a huge, huge success. This week, we are having, we're having a fantastic interview with Shannon Mayer, who, if you've listened to episode three, you'll have heard the first interview with Shannon. Shannon is a multi-million selling indie author, massively inspiring. And she came to my studio to record this interview. And I had to set up what you call a pop shield. Now, pop shield is kind of little device you put in front of the microphone to stop the P sounds kind of really exploding. And, but I didn't have a spare one for Shannon, so I made one out of a coat hanger and a pair of my wife's tights. <laughs> and I had to get some clamps to get this thing held in place in front of the microphone. And about two minutes before Shannon arrived, and these were big clamps, you know the big fat yellow ones, Mark? Mm, yeah. And about two minutes before Shannon arrived, and one of these clamps flew off <laughs> my desk and hit me right in the private. <laughs> Listen, however you want to get your kicks, that's just keep it between you. And well, usually that's how you get your kicks. Yeah. It's usually you get the kicks in the nads, but it was a, a, a massive clip that took me out. But Mark, tell us about this interview because we have something that we have to confess to our listeners. Yeah, we're going to have to come clean on this one because Shannon very kindly gave, I mean, she's incredibly busy. She, she writes about four books a week though, at the moment. Uh, and she very <laughs> kindly gave us a lot of time over to, to interviewing. And it went on for so long, we figured, you know what, we'll split this into three interviews because there's a very clear focus on uh, of each different section of the interviews. Um, and what we thought was, you know, because we didn't know if we were going to get any other guests on the show. We were just happy, to, delighted to have Shannon come along. We thought it might be just the two of us wittering along. Um, but then, <laughs> then we managed to get more and more guests. And then the Brian Cranston thing happened. And if you want to know about that, Go back uh, on yeah. uh, and check out uh, our Brian. Um, it was a number one, number one trending story on Facebook for two days, which was just insane. And then we were in the Guardian, and that, and then, and then before we know it, it Christmas is over, and we still haven't aired the second Shannon Mayer one. So absolutely, but we decided to air it this week for a very specific reason, and that is in the first interview with Shannon, we talked about a trilogy as that she's released with Amazon with the Amazon publishing arm as an indie author, she kind of made this step to a hybrid author. And it just so happens that around this time, she's released the second in the trilogy called Fangs and Fennel. And I need to update everyone because um, episode three, we were talking to Shannon before she released her Venom and Vanilla novel and something incredible happens. Well, this is the thing. She, she says in the interview that you're about to hear, oh, I've got a new book coming out soon. And in the time between we recorded that and the, recording this now, two of the three books that she's written have been published. So in the time that Absolutely. we've been fanning about talking on the podcast, she's had two books published and one of them did rather well, didn't it, Mark? It did do rather well. The first book of Venom and Vanilla on its debut week on the Amazon charts went to number two on Amazon.com. We're not talking, you know, urban fantasy subgenre. We're talking number two. She was outselling Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, all of the big names apart from one, one author that was above her. 
and she was in the Amazon.com charts. So the, here is an independent author who is at the very top of her game, showing and trailblazing and showing us all as indie authors what's possible. So that's why this is an absolutely incredible episode. You're going to enjoy it. But we'll dive straight in, Mark, and let's have a listen to our conversation with Shannon Mayer. And we're really delighted to have Shannon Mayer back with us in the studio. Shannon, welcome. Thank you for having me back. Hello, Shannon. And for those of you that missed episode three, when we first interviewed Shannon um, about her massive, massive success as an indie author, um, Shannon is a USA Today bestseller. She's published between 35 and 40 books, somewhere between there. Um, she she sold 1.5, nearly 1.5 million books and counting right now and has an exceptionally loyal fan base in, in what she described to us as quite a niche um, mar- market, a genre of urban fantasy. And so for me, Shannon is a massive inspiration for all those indie authors out there who thinks, A, there's no money to be made in the industry as an indie author, and B, that you can't sell you know, seven figures as an indie author. Shannon is here to prove it. And what we well, didn't I, mention- I, think, I think, I think, Mark, what we also need to point out, she does have a, an unfair advantage in that she can type faster than Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just make that clear. Yeah, that's a very good point. And you know what? The other thing I didn't mention, which Shannon didn't mention, is she did all this as, um, you know, when we were talking about 12 or 10 books in, in one year, she did all this as a new mum as well. So just to kind of, put that into perspective we can we get so many excuses in life but here's here is literally a, a modern day wonder woman who <laughs> i think probably wonder woman's better than clark Clint. Kent, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something bad there um, <laughs> <clears throat> anyway moving swiftly on um so shannon one of the things i'm not going to stop laughing at, one of the things i wanted to ask you about was um, this really interesting deal that's happening with Amazon. So you've you've been an indie author, and you've you're calling this a hybrid deal. Now, tell us a bit about the Amazon deal and what a hybrid deal is. So when um, an indie author goes from being just published by themselves, independently published, and then moves into any sort of traditional contract, then they're considered a hybrid. So, um, and that basically just means that they're both still an independent author with having a contract as well with a traditional company. And um, so Amazon has their own set of imprints, depending on genre and 47 North is the imprint that I signed with. They do science fiction and fantasy. And, um, I was approached by one of their acquisitions editors and um, we had a long discussion about me working with them. I went down to Seattle and had a face-to-face chat with her, which was fantastic. She's a, a great lady. Her name's Adrian. And so I pitched an idea that I had had kind of brewing and they said, yes, write it and, and let's, let's move forward. And so we signed a three book uh, deal and the first book, uh, Venom and Vanilla will be coming out November 1st. It's been a really interesting experience to publish with them because, in, of course, the past few years I've been independent, which means I take care of everything, editing, cover art, formatting, marketing. And so it's an, a really different experience to have a whole new team working on those things with me. Mm. So as an indie author bestseller, there are opportunities which doors that open when you start to prove that you can sell books as an indie. So as you're in terms of encouraging other indie authors, uh, is this something you planned or is it just one of these great opportunities that's come about with your success? Um, I, I don't know that I planned it, but I definitely look at this as a business. And so as with every business, you don't really want to put your eggs all in one basket. Um, as an independent author, I have a lot of opportunity to make decisions in terms of my career, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other um, opportunities out there. Going hybrid gives me an opportunity to work with the Amazon team and learn from them uh, things that I can then apply to my independent publishing and um and then also they have that ability behind them being amazon they're kind of a a marketing genius company to have that behind my books and potentially reaching new readers and new markets that i could not have done so on my own Uh, last time we talked about uh the importance of the editor and you know obviously you have relationships with editors do you get to bring your editor with you or do they introduce you to a new editor that they've recommended so they actually had an editor um that 
based on what they saw of my writing that they felt would be a good match um, in okay. order to help me. And, and I was open to that because I feel like every editor has a different viewpoint and can teach you as an author. And, and so um, I was, I was really excited to work with somebody new and, um, and I had that opportunity and she did, she pushed me in different ways that my, my editors that I use right now have not pushed me. And so I do feel that I grew as a, as a writer by working with them. And, and what's quite interesting, I don't know if this is true, Shannon, but I heard that when you, you were writing the three book series, is it true that you delivered the books just way ahead of time and, and uh, you know, they were completely blown away by that because usually it's the other way around. They, you know, authors are Chasing. desperately asking, please can I have an extension? <laughs> yeah, I um because my own schedule is so tight and I do write as much as I do you know, monthly and yearly, um, I wanted to have the books basically written and on their table and kind of off my desk um, as soon as I was able to. So yeah, most, I had all the books to them easily, you know, a couple of weeks ahead of the deadlines. And in one case, about a month and a half early so that I could continue on with my own um, works. And, and it was the same thing with their, their edits and stuff. Um, they gave great um, amount of time for you to work on edits two to three weeks, which is phenomenal, but um, I don't have time to take two to three weeks. So I had pretty quick turnarounds. They were, they were, they were very pleased with. So in terms of the, the opportunities out there for indie authors, you must hear this a lot that you can't make money selling books. What, how do you respond to that? Um, that's, that's a hard one for me. I've, I've been to conferences in the last few years. I still do attend the conferences when I can, because I still feel even at this point in my career, there's always something to learn. The hard part is, is that most of those um, conferences um, are geared towards traditional publishing, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a certain mindset. Exactly what you just said is that there isn't a lot of money available to be made in writing. Um, and my answer to that is it, it depends on what, your goals are, you know, I have good friends who their goal was to be published, period. They weren't worried about the money. I have other friends whose goals were to make $5,000 a month. And I have other friends whose goals were to make $50,000 a month. Um, it really comes down to your ability to um, work hard and have a strong work ethic and be willing to learn and grow and take criticism and put the time in. You know, I've been doing this since I was 25 and, and I'm 37 now. That's 12 years. So this was not overnight. Mm. It looks like it to a lot of people because they see that, Oh, you've been writing full time for three years. Wow. Three years. That's all it took. That's mm -hmm. not the reality. Um, and prior to those 25 years, I was, I was, or when I was 25, pardon me, not 25 years. Um, when I was 25, I was writing on my own, just doing that little bit here and there. And so basically my whole life has led up to this. As far as I look at it, that's not a quick, that's not a quick thing. So it's not a quick, um, money making career. So people who get into it with that thought process are going to struggle, mm. but people who go into it. It's that it's that Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hour thing, isn't it? If you work at something for about ten thousand hours, you you finally get the hang of it. I think right. you know, and that, that is about you know that can take you ten, twelve, fifteen years to 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 get into a groove where you're you're really good at something. Mm -hmm. But like Shannon said last time, you know, either you know you start on that journey now because the time is going to pass anyway. So for anyone who's kind of feeling a bit kind of. Ugh, 12 years. 12 years of my life. I don't yeah. even have 12 yeah. years. I, I, but I, I find it inspiring because from my experience as a, as a people coaching people in their dreams, I see this kind of exponential curve. And I think that's what Shannon, that's what you're on right now. You're seeing the fruits of your labor, if you like, all the work you put up front. And that's incredible to see. So, so on the point of bestsellers, obviously we've, you may be aware that we have a, a, a number of listeners who are coming on this journey with us and trying to write this book and we're going to try and beat them up the charts but chances are mark we're probably not right well, well you know what i think about this <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a disaster waiting to happen i can't <laughs> type as fast as shannon you can't type at all clearly no, so you know <laughs> so you need me to be your typist yeah is actually what you're saying. yeah maybe we need to <laughs> that's there's a ghost typer 
instead of a ghostwriter. There you go. Well, wasn't yeah. it Barbara Cartland? She she dictated yeah, all just her books. Lay in a chaise, we're just laying a chaise lounge, yeah. eating no, chocolates, Laura, dictating Laura to Shannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I can't I imagine. Those, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I can't get that image out of my head now of you in a Laura Ashley dress with a big, like, <laughs> ascot bonnet on your head. It's just not happening. So, um, right now. <laughs> where were we? Um, so, it's one of the things about writing bestseller is, I mean, you can, you can start life writing just a book, mm-hmm. but I like to start life or start new projects with an intention, which is really the whole point of this experiment. When you started out writing and, and started to live the dream, what was your mindset? Were you thinking about becoming a bestselling author or were you just writing for writing's sake? No, I... I mean, it's not something that probably a lot of authors will say out loud because it's a little, it sounds very egotistical and it doesn't, and I don't mean for it to come across that way at all. But when I first made the decision to chase after the dream of being published, it was never with the idea of mediocrity. It was always with the intention that I would be a best-selling author. And to me, that was financial stability. It was recognition um, in the author and, indus- and, and writing industry. Um, and never awards. Awards were never actually something that I necessarily wanted. I just wanted to be able to be an author and a name that people read and said, oh, have you read that latest Shannon Mayer book? That was my intention going in. Um, and so I never doubted it. I mean, you have moments of thinking, oh God, I am just, this is the worst piece of garbage I've ever written in my life. We all have that. Mm, But the overall belief was always there that at some point, if I just keep at this, if I just keep at this day by day, book by book, I'll get better and, and I'll make it happen. Mm, That's really fascinating. I mean, that story resonates with me because as a musician, my dream was to always play Glastonbury, the, the biggest festival in the world. And it was a crazy dream. But I had this weird sense that somehow I could make it happen. But I knew for certain that if I didn't believe it could happen, it never would. Mm. So, Shannon, I need your help right now because I'm the optimist in this partnership. Right, Mark? <laughs> Mark is the pessimist. He right. sees the well, carpet. I've, I've... So Mark... I just pick- go, on, go, 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 go. go no, it's just, I've worked in book selling and publishing for, you know, over 20 years now, and I've seen more failures and successes. But I think Shannon's attitude is totally spot on. If, if you have a clear end game, and like you said, you had friends who just wanted to get published, and that's great, or, or they wanted to earn a certain amount of money, or they wanted to, or like you, you wanted to be a bestseller. And I think if you can give yourself a finishing pose, no matter how crazy it seems, then at least it gives you some kind of direction. Absolutely. So, so maybe Mark, the we have to kind of get you into some meditative state here to kind of almost hypnotise you <laughs> to 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 have that because honestly, I really do think that is you know when we we could talk about hundreds of other things. But you plot can't and- you can't convince someone else to believe. Mark, number one, who I'm sitting next to. Um, you can't. And that's the thing. And I think that's, especially creative people, um, because we have that imagination, we can imagine the crash as easily as we can imagine finishing the, you know, the finish line first. Right. And that's the hard part is, is that you, you might be able to convince him. But it might be your faith and your belief that carries you to right. the top. There's also, Mark, this thing I, I heard about the other day called imposter syndrome. And it's this mm-hmm. idea that everyone, you know, from Barack, Barack Obama to anyone who's ever done anything which we would consider in society successful, um, thinking, who am I to be, you know, president of the US? And so I think for many authors out there who are just, you know, think of themselves as I'm just an author – this kind of sense of thinking themselves as a best-selling author just seems so alien. But it's it, and like Shannon said, it's not about an egotistical thing. I mean, Shannon's probably the least egotistical person I know, and I, I think that it's. But it's about that is belief. Belief's mm-hmm. the word, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, writers generally are neurotic people. Absolutely. Because part of the job of writing is thinking about people and characters and the things that they do and the terrible things we do to each other because it's all about drama and crisis and conflict and everything. And we do often imagine the worst and we put our characters through terrible situations. So you start thinking the worst about yourself and you do think, oh, God, I'm a complete fraud. I'm a- One day they're going to tap me on the shoulder, they're going to find me out and they're going to say, there's the door, sorry. Every book. Every book I write, I think, oh God, (laughs) is this gonna, is anybody gonna buy it? And it's funny, even after as many books, you just think, 
oh, what if this one tanks? You know, you, you can't help it. But in some way that keeps, I think that keeps you on, um, keeps your axe sharpened in some way to mix my metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> I found the trick with that actually is if you write a lot, you don't have time to think about the release because you're already working on something else. Um, yeah. Because it is that, it's the inner dialogue that kills most people, isn't it? Absolutely. It's the It's the self-sabotage voice of like, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone I coach tells, you know, that, that I, I see that in everyone. And ev- I think if any human being ever says they don't have that, part of them they're they're lying and they need to their liar is the self-sabotage so i think you know that's probably the biggest thing for me from from, i mean we talk about plot and characters and what comes first chicken and egg but belief i think that's huge mark what do you think yeah absolutely i think i think shannon's absolutely right you can't stand if you stand still you do start self-doubting and thinking about what's wrong now i think you keep writing you keep juggling you keep the balls in the air and then she's absolutely right you don't have the time to think about anything else so yeah 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 so i'm going to just keep that bit of recording there mark and i'll play it back to you every- <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have it on yeah. i have it on file um <laughs> The thing is, Mark, you haven't been through this. I haven't, haven't and I'm through this process. And I think Shannon's what Shannon's pointed out is there is with a lot of new authors, there is a lot of naivety about the process. They think one draft, I'll put it on Kindle and I'll be a millionaire. (laughs) And it's just not the case. The the amount of rewrites, rewriting single sentences again and again and again until you get it right in your head, you know, uh, taking whole chunks of a book and rewriting it or a script or whatever, it's a lot of work. It's an awful lot of work. And for us to turn that around in a year and just get a book would be one thing, but then to get out the charts as well, that's, mm. that's the Mission Impossible bit. Pulling those two things off is going to be really, really tricky. Yeah, it's an interesting one, although I've got Shannon sitting next to me here who's just put out 10 books in one year. <laughs> So, Shannon, one other thing um, that we'd really like your advice on, and um, what a lot of people won't know as well, is on top of all the books you've published, you've also collaborated as well. And you can, I can already hear the tension building between Mark, me and Mark here about <laughs> how we're going to do this. So maybe you could help us out in terms of some tips for collaboration, because right. my sense is when you collaborate, you get things done even quicker. But is that really the case or does it take longer? Um, it depends. I think it depends on who you're collaborating with and your relationship with them. I, I wrote with Denise Grover Swank, um, who's also an indie and hybrid author. She's a New York Times bestseller. She's amazing. Um, we're good friends. We have a very similar writing style in terms of um, pacing and character development and this sort of thing. So um, what we did was we sat down uh, a couple phone calls and had a few kind of brainstorm sessions as to where we saw the books going, came up with titles, that sort of thing. And then we um, used a program where we could, it's a Google document. So she could write, cause she's down in the States and she could um, write down some ideas and I could see it and I could add to it. <clears throat> and we just plotted that way, kind of brainstormed again. And then we went chapter by chapter. So because we wrote with two separate characters, so, you know, it might be interesting and you guys might want to edit this part out cause there's my piece of advice for you. It might be interesting if you, you have the, Believer, which would be Mark number one, writing a chapter, and the non-believer, Mark number two, writing a second chapter, because you're getting two different points of views, right? Mm. Um, and that's what we did. We had two characters, and we wrote, I would write a um, synopsis for one chapter, she would write a synopsis, and then that's how we wrote the book as well. I would write a chapter, send it to her, she would send it back to me, and, and actually in the last book we wrote together, we deviated quite a ways from the um, plot we had put out and it became a game to see who could leave their character in the worst situation <laughs> for the other to get them out of. And it, and that actually made it. It's interesting to see how uh, you, you did that counter. Cause for me, it was always about, well, how do you write together? It's one thing mm-hmm. if I write lyrics, mm-hmm. co-write lyrics mm-hmm. with, a, with another songwriter, you can work on a line and both come up with the best word. But have you ever done a collaboration where you've literally read someone's chapter and then gone in and, and almost done edits or added things we in. did that for each other as well oh, okay. at the same time yeah and actually our readers couldn't figure out who wrote which character oh. so that was really interesting we let them guess we didn't tell them right away and that was interesting because we both realized by the end of the second book we could have swapped and i could have written her character's point of view and she could have written mine mm-hmm. um so i think that you know every um partnership when it comes to co-authoring is going to be a little different. That's what worked for us. I've seen other 
co-authors work like what you're talking about writing kind of as a single voice all the way through. Um, I don't know that I could do that. I have too strong of a writing voice myself that I would, I can see myself ending up trying to kind of take over the, um, the story. And mm. so for us that worked, but. That's fascinating to hear because one of my favorite books is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Mm. And they both said in interviews over the years that the bits that everyone assumes are Terry's bits are Neil's and the bit that everyone assumes right. are Neil's bits are Terry's, you know, because they did happened, basically yeah. one would write it, the other would take over and, uh, and stand in the other writer's shoes for a short while, you know. Mm. Yeah. Did, did you find, Shannon, when you were working on the synopsis and the plotting part, because you had a co-author, did you still use the editor to kind of check it all out or did you use each other as that kind we, of whole discoverer? Just, yeah, we used each other more for that. Um, we still used, we used my editor for first passes, her editor for second, and then a copy editor and then line edits and proofreading and all that sort of thing. So we still see the same process, but we used each other to kind of read through that whole plot and figure out if there was any issues. Hmm. So we're actually the big coming... difference here, Mark. Though is is that's two very experienced authors working. <laughs> so we think, should Mark? work. We should work as a team. But that means you do everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be awesome! I can see the wheels coming off already, Mark. This is great. Maybe we should just write a book about two authors trying to write a book. Maybe and all um, the conflict because there's no conflict. <laughs> I can feel it. It's good. Ends in bloody murder. It is. Yeah. Uh, this is the final episode of the... Uh, unfortunately, Mark today can't be with us this week. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to... Anyway, um, we're actually coming... I can't believe how time flies, but we're coming to the end of this segment. Um, one thing we, we really wanted to cover with Shannon is about marketing of a book, because that's something that a lot of indie authors, you know, they just want... It's like giving birth to a baby. It's like, oh! And then they suddenly realise, oh my gosh, there's a baby here. I don't know what to do. How do I feed it? So I'm going to suggest that we maybe throw in a bonus session here, Mark, um, and do something on how to market a bestseller as an indie author. But I'd have to ask Shannon's permission whether you'd be willing to come back to do a quickie. A quickie? <laughs> is it really? Well? <laughs> I don't know. My husband's doing that. But, uh, yeah, for sure. We can, we can do a little that marketing session. Now, quick question before we finish up. You've obviously got 35 to 40 books currently. If I were interested in starting somewhere mm-hmm. with, with your book, uh, so in, someone who's never read anything, what would be the one book you'd recommend them starting with? Um, probably my Riley Adamson series. The first book is called Priceless. And um, that character is incredibly popular. Um, she resonates with a lot of people. Her job is basically a psychic bloodhound who goes after missing children that the human police can't find. So she has a real draw to her for that, saving the children. And uh, she picks up a lot of supernatural sidekicks along the way. Um, bit of a potty mouth, so be warned. Um, but yeah, she's she's probably one of the most favorite characters um, that I've come up with. And uh, she's a, a fairly substantial following. Wow. Sounds fantastic. Shannon, did I see also that you've got books coming in paperback as well? Yes, that's correct. I actually just uh, signed a deal this summer with um, Skyhorse um, publishing for my Riley Adamson series. They'll be coming to bookstores near you, which is a really um, exciting deal for me uh, because I w- did not have to sign away my ebook rights. So um, for an indie author, this is kind of the holy grail to be able to sell your paperback publishing rights to a publishing house who can actually get your book into stores um, while still retaining your ebook rights, which is where you know the lion's share of your income comes from as an indie author. Um, so I'm very excited to be working with them. They look like they have a, a great marketing program and um, it's going to be fun to see the books actually on bookshelves. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for joining us again today. You are an inspiration. Oh, thank you. We want to wish you all the best with your new deal with Amazon and all the other 3,000 things <laughs> we probably haven't even talked about. Shannon, can I just ask you one thing before you go? Um, can you just slow down? You're making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> I uh, thought I, I had will, a work ethic. <laughs> I will do my best. I will do my best to slow it down. Maybe cut down just to nine books a year instead of ten or something. All right. yeah. Just take Come it on. easy. <laughs> Chill. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you. Have a great day. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, every time Shannon comes on, I'm um, doubly inspired. And I. <laughs> what's amazing, she talks about... You know, she says, you've got to be willing to learn. You've got to work hard, take criticism. It's not a get rich quick scheme, you know. 
And I love the way she sounds slightly baffled that not everyone else is doing this. And it's, uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just work really, really hard. It's, it's you know, it's, um, she has, makes it very clear. She, okay, she's only been doing this as a day job, if you like, for a few years, but this has taken years for her to get this right, you know, to, to get to the point where she can write at the level that she writes at uh, and have the success that she's, she's had with her recent books as well. And she's yeah, amazing. I'm a big well, fan. Because I think the other, the other challenge for every indie author out there, and that's what we're going to experience when we, when we put our book out, Mark, is that you're also, not only are you kind of getting to the point where you're building an audience and you've got a platform but it's also like a moving train because the industry is changing so rapidly. I was talking to an author this week who said, oh, you know, it's just changed again, the formatting of how I have to upload my book and I have to relearn this, that and the other. So on top of keeping up with the writing and the publishing, there's all of the the technical stuff, um, which I know for a lot of people is the bane of their lives. But Shannon seems to have a way of just plowing on and plowing through. And I think we get to a point where we kind of get enough experience at doing something that within just having to tweak things and and I, I found it as well really interesting uh, this idea of hybrid authoring this idea that we we don't have to define ourselves as an indie author or a traditional publisher there is this middle ground and Shannon mentioned about that with her deal with Amazon is that something that you've heard much about Mark from the traditional publishing side of things or is that quite a kind of novel thing I never heard the term hybrid author before uh i think what she's done i mean she's managed to strike a deal with a publisher not amazon in this case but with another publisher and she's managed to retain her ebook rights that very few authors managed to pull that off that's a yes. that's a quite a canny trick because certainly if one of the major publishers signs you up they'll want the ebook rights as well and that does mean i mean it can mean yes you can have someone else take care of all the uh, the technical side of things for you, but you also relinquish a lot of control. And I think the fact that, uh, that Shannon is so good at what she does, uh, and has such attention to detail, I think that's quite, I think it's very wise of her to retain that control and keep working in it. But at the same time, she's now got Amazon doing print editions of her books. Uh, and, uh, and the proof's in the pudding. Like you said, she was, she was topping the charts and, um, Oh, yeah, fair play to it. That's well, the amazing. other thing that's really fascinating about what happened with Shannon's first book in the Amazon suit, so just to be clear, there's like three books in a trilogy that she signed directly to Amazon's publishing arm, uh, of which they have a number of different ones depending on the genre. But those three books have come out in print and Kindle, and they're directly distributed by Amazon on Amazon's website. There's another company that she's done the paperback deal with for all of her other books which she owns as ebook rights. And so I walked into Chapters the other day, which is our big local bookstore, and there on the shelf were two Shannon Main books. And actually, she's delightfully given us two, a, a signed copy of each. One is called Priceless. It's the book one of her Riley Adamson novel series. So it's a 10-book series, which... I mean, to think of it, you know, we're struggling just getting our, our one book mm -hmm. done. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we've got copies of Priceless and the second book, which is called Immune. Uh, and you can go to our website, bestsellerexperiment.com, and there is a tab that says Win. And on there, you'll find um, a load of competitions. I think Michael Connolly has now officially closed. So we'll be announcing the winner of that shortly. So there's a lot of new things that Shannon's obviously doing with her career, which as I say, I call her a trailblazer in the sense that she's kind of showing us what's possible. And I think these are these are things which should encourage us. It, it, we need people like Shannon out there uh, pushing the envelope and, and seeing what's possible whilst the industry changes. Because at some point, I think in the future, and I don't think it's going to happen for quite a while, at some point in the future, I think things will start to settle down into a kind of a new industry, you know, whereas we'll start to see things, trends happening year after year. Amazon UK this week released their 2016 trends report, which is uh, an always fascinating document. Um, they, they, they put this out to the public. So I'll, I'll put a link online uh, so you can download this. It's a, it's a PDF that you can just download and browse. And it goes, it's not just books, it goes through everything. It talks about trends and what's selling through the UK. S some really weird stuff like... Um, 
dog costumes. Sales of dog pet costumes <laughs> have gone through the roof. They're up 62%. Oh I, I know we're a nation of animal lovers, but that's uh, that's just ridiculous. Um, but on... on <laughs> Yeah, apparently Kanye West is really big in Scotland. Uh, Pokemon Go is really big in the east of England. Uh, Chocolate is big in the Midlands. You know, it tells you little things like that. But there is a double page spread on books and what we read. Now, what's fascinating, they talk about their top 10 ebooks for the year. And they talk about, and this goes way back to our first episode, they say 2016 has been the year of psychological thrillers. You remember in our first episode, we talked to Vix Tranter and she was talking about all those books with girl in the title, girl, you know, Gone Girl, the girl on the train. And they list, you know, this is um, that most of the top 10 best-selling books uh, fall into that category, into that psychological thriller category. But what's absolutely fascinating here. In amongst all the big bestsellers from the major publishers, two of the titles in the top 10 were Kindle Direct Publishing titles. So, uh, and it doesn't, interestingly, it doesn't pick them out. It doesn't name them. Oh, and wow. so you're sitting there looking at the, because all the cover art for all of these books is, is incredible. It's really striking, really well professionally mm. made. There's nothing, you can't pick anything out here that looks amateur. So it's not like you go, oh yeah, that's clearly the self-published book. You're looking at all of these. So I'm struggling to figure out, I think it's The Girl in the Ice uh, by Robert uh, Brinzer. And the other one is Follow You Home by Mark Edwards, um, from what I can gather, just looking at this online. Um, but they're up there with Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris, The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. You know, this, these are, these are up there with the really big hitters. Me Before You, Jojo Moyes, you know, the outselling Jojo Moyes, which, you know, Sonia last week was telling us was, was, uh, her favorite book and the book that she was in, you know, inspired her to write her book. Uh, they also do a little focus on, uh, an author called L.J. Ross, who, uh, writes a best-selling series of DCI Ryan mystery novels. And there's just a little quote from L.J. Ross saying, you know, having released my first book under two years ago, I'm delighted to have all four featuring the 100 best-selling books of 2016 on the Kindle store. I've been able to leave my job in the city to focus on what I'm passionate about, writing. I mean, they're selling the dream there, aren't they? I mean, this is... Leaving your job in the... Leaving a job in the city. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, Michelle Paver did the same thing as well. Yeah, you know, so, this is incredible well. that people are leaving potentially like good paying, very maybe very good paying careers, and and doing even better for authors. So it is. I I don't know. I just have a great feeling about about 2017. I think this is going to be a revolutionary year. And everyone listening to the show that's inspired, we thank. We want to thank you for you know the one word we keep hearing, which is so amazing, is this word inspiring and. I mean, we're inspired by our guests. We're inspired doing this podcast. We're inspired right now, but, but we're also inspired with all of the comments that you send us. Uh, so please do tell us if you found anything uh, which has shifted for you because of, of some of the words that you've heard from some of our guests. Do let us know because it, it just feeds us all. And just hearing those statistics, Mark, from what's possible. You know, who knows? Maybe at the end of this year, maybe that 20% of books might increase to 30 or maybe 40%. Maybe eventually it'll be 50-50. Who, who knows where it's going? I, I think that, that day is, is definitely coming. And the thing is, I, what I can tell you about L.J. Ross and and the other those other independent authors like Shannon, they – you know they know their craft they work at it they work then these aren't the people who are doing one draft and putting it up and selling it for 99p these are people who are clearly treating it as a as a business and not just some dilettante hobby you know so i mean just that's, that's actually a huge one because shannon actually said that she said look i look at it as a business and i'm going to officially announce the what we believe to be the second secret ingredient to the, the bestseller source that we're trying to concoct here. The first one we announced a couple of weeks ago on a Facebook page, which was write every day. The second one is you've got to start treating yourself as a professional writer. You treat it as a business. I think you have to make that shift. And it leads me straight into the motivational minute of this week, Mark, because it's all about that. Hang on. Let me get in the lotus position. <laughs> oh, 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 I've broken Don't me break up. the chair. Oh my goodness, he's just ripped his ripped his oh. trousers. So this week's Motivational Minute is about taking yourself seriously. Shannon said it. Uh, in fact, lots of our authors said it. They treat their writing as a business. 
if you want to take the step, the hero's journey, the crossing the threshold, the call to adventure, it is that moment where you say, I'm no longer a hobbyist. I'm no longer, no, no longer treating this as just a, a bit of fun. I'm actually doing this because I want my book to be shared with the world. I want to see if I can make an impact with the world with my writing. And I can pinpoint a specific moment in my music career, which is what all I've really got to reference this right now, which was a moment where I sat down one day at the keyboard. And what I'd normally do is I'd just sit and plinker plonk around and I'd try some chords out and mess around and try and come up with a tune. And one day I thought, no, today I'm sitting down and I'm going to write a track that is worthy of something I'll play at, say, a major festival. And it was almost like that shift happened in me and that I actually thought, okay, I have, I have to up my game here. And from that moment on, I didn't see myself as a, as looking at icons. Like we might look at best-selling authors like, oh, one day I wish I could be like Stephen King or one day I wish I could be like, you know, Paul Hawkins or whoever it is. It's actually looking at these people as your peers and you're, you're to join them soon. And it's a mental shift. It has to happen in your mind because no one is going to tell you that you are now officially an author apart from yourself. You have to decide that is the moment where you cross that threshold. So if you're finding that you you want to up your game, you want to take this to the next level, that is the biggest one change that you can make this year. And did that happen for you at any point, Mark, where you actually kind of crossed that threshold and you thought, you know what, I can do this. I can actually write a decent book and put it out. I, I know the exact moment uh, when that happened. And it involves our mutual friend, a chap called Jeremy Mason, who's a documentary maker, mm -hmm. who back in the day, when I wrote, when I staged my first play, because I'd, I'd been writing this, I've been writing that. I, I tried novels, I tried screenplays. I didn't know anyone in the film world. But what I could do is put on plays. I knew lots of actors and technical people. And I figured out I could put on plays fairly cheaply at my local theatre. And uh, I, because my wife and I had our own theatre company and we put on, you know, we did some David Mamet plays and stuff like that. And I, I wanted to do a play and couldn't get the rights. And suddenly I, I'd booked a venue but didn't have a play. So I wrote a play in eight weeks about all the terrible camping trips my family had taken me on as a child. And <laughs> you talk about writing as awesome. writing as therapy. Um uh, and also that Maria Sample of thing of, you know, right, people you know, I saw all my family are in it. Um, and we were very well received. We got good reviews. And Jeremy uh, was, at the time, he was like a, what they call a cable basher in TV. You know, he's the guy who follows the camera. He was on a show we have in the UK called TFI Friday. He would follow the camera operator around. And, and he took me to one side and he said, um, he said, forget about being an actor. So I was clearly a terrible actor, but he said, keep writing. He said, uh, you know, there are too many actors out there, but not enough writers. Keep writing. You can do this. And I think, you know, for a writer to be told that, it kind of sets you on a course. But I think if you just listen to Shannon's language, she's clearly gone out there with, an, she talks about intention. She She's not always wanted to be a best-selling author. So she goes to conferences. She says there's some always something new to learn. She says she enjoys working with new editors. She likes being pushed in different directions. You know, this this isn't someone who's just doing this at the weekends or whatever. She's, she's as serious as a heart attack about this. You know, she really wants this to happen. But, you know, we, we don't all have to be Shannon and publish 10 books a year she says you know if you just want to be published or you want to make 5k a month god i wish i could make 5k a month or make 50k a month you know you choose the goals everyone has a different aim and i think that's it's, but it's but it, i want to i want to push a bit harder here though because i i truly believe within my coaching world and in the world that this crazy world i live in is that you will get what you search for in life it's what i call the google effect right whatever you put into google you're going to get back with words that you've searched for, whether you whether you typed them well or specifically or generally, you will get back what you search for. And so I want to encourage people. This is where I come from. I'm saying don't play small because it takes the same amount of effort playing small as it does to play big in life. Like if you, you could do the I just want to be published and that's absolutely fine. But no one 
no one just wants to be published and have their books sit on Amazon for no one to buy. Because the point we're doing, the point of the arts is to actually share this work with other people. And, and for many people, it's, it's to, for, to affect as, uh, as many people's lives as possible. I don't think there's anyone in the world who'd say, actually, I'm going to re- remove my book after it's sold a million copies because I, I don't want any more people to enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, they're going to they're gonna take 50 million if that's what it sells. So, if your target is to publish a book, then up your game and actually say, well, go beyond where your comfort zone is and think, well, maybe 10,000 copies. Maybe we should actually, I mean, publicly declare what we're going to try and attempt to sell, Mark, and, and maybe live, live by what we're saying. I know that oh, probably no. makes you think, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, what would you be... Dis- okay, here we go. Here's a good question. Oh, no. We're get, this is going to get... Oh, what would you be... No, no, no. I'm going to reverse it. Reverse it. What would you be disappointed with? If we, if at the end of this 52 week cycle and we've done all this work, we've done all these podcasts, we've built a bit of an audience. Over what, what disappoint time you? period? Are you talking first week sales or are we talking? Well, I don't know. Maybe let's six say months in the, or a year. Yeah. Say in the first, in the first, in the first, say six months, let's give it a decent chunk of time. If we had sold like 10 books, <laughs> you would be oh, probably, yeah. that'd be massive. Desperate. You know, I, I think, what, I think what, if we. You know, if we'd sold 5,000 copies, I think that would be disappointing because, you know, I think what we're writing is commercial. I think it is going to be good. I think the other thing we're doing, uh, you know, to let people peek behind the curtain is this podcast is building an audience as well. So it maybe gives yeah, us an unfair leg up uh, compared to but, some people who are listening. That, but but that's, that was part of our intention, wasn't it? You know? Absolutely. Um, and it's an example of how you can build an audience for a book. Yeah. Yeah, so so five I mean, k would be disappointing. What would be what would be kind of incredible? What would be kind of like the most amazing thing beyond your wildest expectations? Well, I don't know. I mean, someone, you know, some of those best-selling authors, those those people that we know as brand names, they will sell in a year on Kindle alone between forty and sixty thousand copies. Okay, that's good to know. You know. That that to me is La La Land. That if we were to do that, pfft, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's really interesting. Well, that gives us a, that gives us two points, doesn't it? Five anywhere in between that, I'd be happy. Five thousand and one copies. <laughs> so I'm going to say we're going to go for a hundred thousand. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> or am I? <laughs> conversation to be had offline i think but anyway i I think i think that's fascinating because well here's the thing here's the thing let me tell because i'm not the only person writing a book in this household right okay this is this is what you've spawned mr devoe (laughs) don't blame me (laughs) it's all your fault uh uh, my wife uh wonderful woman called claire burgess uh she is a gardening vlogger uh, she has a YouTube channel called Claire's Allotment, which has expanded into a blog. And she's also written a little trilogy of children's books about two sisters called Lottie and Dottie who learn how to grow things. This started about 10 years ago when I said to her, because people were always asking Claire for gardening advice. And she always gave very thorough answers. I said, you know what, you should, you should go on this thing called YouTube and put some videos on. And, you know, then if someone says, what do I do with my tomatoes? Just send them the YouTube video, you know. And she she did that. And she's now got well over, I think, so something over 350 videos, over 3 million views. Uh, Like I said, she's got got these three children's books. There's stats on her blog compared to my blog. I mean, mine is pathetic compared (laughs) to hers. It's amazing. And she's constantly answering emails, you know, from, from people who follow. So here's the weird thing. She has her audience. She already has an audience. So I've said to her, inspired by our little journey so far, I said, you should do some gardening books that are on Kindle, do a whole series of them. So that she's already written the first one. Um, we're going to launch over the spring a series of books called Claire's Allotment Essentials. You know, so there'll be one on tomatoes, one on potatoes, one, you know, just focusing on one single aspect of growing your own and with but with if you follow someone like Monty Don or, or watch those BBC gardening programs, they're they're all about Latin pronunciation and they, they assume a lot of knowledge. Whereas a lot of Claire's followers, a lot of people follow her in the States who've never done gardening before. So she takes you through all the basics. She doesn't assume any knowledge and people really like that. And she's very friendly with it as well. So we're going to launch this series of books. She's going to be writing them over the next year. And our intention is we are going to own 
the Kindle home and garden chart. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Because at the moment, it's, uh, well, there's the gardening and horticulture. It's Monty Don at the top with uh, a book about his dog. Okay. That's the number yeah. one bestseller. So our intent is to swamp this <laughs> chart with Claire's books because like these are books that they'll be Kindle, they'll be EPUB. You can download them on your phone. You can take them up the allotment. If there's a part of you thinking, what do I do with this? You can just look it up or you can just read it at your own leisure. So there's a bit of intent for you. She's going to kill me once she hears this. <laughs> I, I know. I, no, but I, I, love, I love Claire's YouTube channel. I'm, I'm a major gardening fan. And uh, I remember kind of coming across it actually about a year and a bit ago. And it is fantastic. And she's brilliant. She's really good. But it's going to be great because in some ways we're going to have a kind of, as, as Claire goes on this journey uh, kind of alongside us, we'll have a kind of reference for nonfiction. And it's something I'm really interested in. I mean, we're, we've, we're creating a nonfiction book around this show. And I know that a lot of the fiction authors, I know we've been focused exclusively on fiction up until now, but I know a lot of fiction authors are interested in nonfiction. And there may be a lot of nonfiction authors were, you know, listening to the bestseller experiment and working out how they can apply. Because it's all storytelling. This is how I view it. It's all storytelling at the end of the day, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. And it'll be interesting to kind of get some check-ins with, with Claire's journey on that front, if she's willing to share. Because I think we're moving into a stage now, which every author has to face, which is the point where... You're getting over the hill with the book. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of seeing that, wow, this, we, could actually, we could actually finish this book. We've got a story now, folks. And we do think that we can see the end. We, we're not close to finishing it, but we actually are really getting a sense that, wow, this is coming together. And then's that daunting question, which is like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with this once it's done? Now, <laughs> what we're trying to demonstrate through the podcast is don't start building your platform the day your book's released. Like we're building this platform a year in advance uh, for, for, and we, it's an experiment. That's the whole point of it. But um, I often hear from authors and publishers at conferences, they say, you know, if you want to be an author, if you want to release a book, start your blog today, even if you're not going to publish a book for two years from now, start building your email list, start, start to make it happen. And so we're going to kind of be exploring that with, with everyone, because it, I think it's a very, it's huge. It's like, there's nothing worse than creating a work of art, putting your love and your sweat and your tears into a piece of work. And then it's selling two copies and they're to people that, you know, you've told about in your family. And our job is, as it's presented as this show, is to try to show you a different way and say, look, it's not just about the writing. Things are changing. We've got to become marketers. And if you, if you hate the sound of that word, if you hate the sound of being an entrepreneur, um, that's a mental block that we've all got to get over at some point, just like people fear computers or people fear Scrivener's <laughs> in some regards, you know, sometimes they won't try something. And in fact, that's an interesting point because we were talking um, earlier about how when we started looking at Scrivener, I really wanted to use it because I loved it. You'd actually tried Scrivener, hadn't you, Mark, before we even thought yeah, about I, it? Yeah, I, I, spurred on by sort of seeing friends on Twitter eulogize about it, I, I downloaded it and I tried it and I kind of, and I thought, oh God, it's got, it's got this long tuition, blah, blah, blah. Oh, forget it. I know how to use the stuff I'm already using. And funnily enough, I saw a conversation on Twitter exactly like this where uh, there are writers that i follow on twitter was half of them were saying oh my god scrivener is the most amazing thing ever and and the other half was saying yeah well i tried it once i seemed too complicated i backed away and you know i was that soldier and you know i had the soft tender hands of mark devoe to guide me <laughs> through the mire <laughs> Well, basically, all and you said was, for God's sake, just watch the tuition video. <laughs> exactly. Because that's what I did. I did. What I find with a lot of people who fear new technology is they've not even opened page one of the manual or even watched an intro video. Mark, I found I'm a really man. I don't read instruction manuals. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the YouTube video to check out, if you're thinking of trying Scrivener, if you've downloaded the 30-day free trial, the one that I used was, it's just literally called Introduction to Scrivener. It's just under 10 minutes. And it just gives you enough to get started. You don't have to learn. And they always say about these programs, you know, there is so much you can do with them ultimately. Uh, if you learn like the 2 to 3% that you need to use on a daily basis, then you can pick up the other stuff. Because as you start getting into Scrivener, as we've discovered through this journey, and, and Mark's particularly been on a kind of an exploration with that, there are so many incredible features but you don't need to learn them first so i'd encourage people to try that video on youtube it's under the literature and latte account and just type in introduction to scrivener 
So, Mark, we have a question of the week. Mm, yes, it's from, again, uh, someone who's a regular uh, with us on Twitter, uh, Jack Harmon, at Jack E. Harmon. And she says, I find fight scenes the hardest to write. What do you find most difficult? P.S. Sex scenes too, because excruciatingly embarrassing. <laughs> Which, oh and I, I, I've not attempted a sex scene in years. I remember when I had my first agent, uh, I that that play that we were talking about earlier. Uh, she thought it would make a good children's book. Now there are things you can do in a play that you can't necessarily do in a children's book, and one of them was a, a sex scene. You know, this boy loses his virginity on this camping holiday, and I wrote a sex scene, and it was, I, I if I, it's excruciating, just excruciating, and I'm not sure I can actually do a sex scene. And when I've read them done well. You know, there was, um, I'm reading a book at the moment, uh, The Ninth Reign by Jen Williams, who's a fantasy author. And she has these elves who study lovemaking for years. <laughs> and she does it so well because she she talks about, rather than getting into the nitty gritty kind of stuff and make it pornographic, she makes it more sensual and talks about these different methods. And it's brilliant. It's really sensual and it gives you, and it adds something to the character as well. Uh, and it actually leads on to a very important plot point. So, you know, uh, I, I share your pain, Jack, but I think, you know, when they're done well, they're brilliant. With regard to fight scenes, I would recommend you read anything by Joe Abercrombie. Um, Joe, it, particularly the, his book, and The which, Heroes, which all he focuses on... What episode was uh, he on? Nine, I think. Yeah. Um, and he's, um, the, his book, The Heroes, focuses on one battle. And there's one bravura sequence in the middle of that where he follows the action from one character to another. And I just read that, my jaws on, on the ground. It was so clear. It was the difference between a Steven Spielberg action sequence, which is always fantastic, and a Michael Bay action sequence, which is a, which is a dire mess. You know, it, you can, you can follow the action in Raiders of the Lost Ark because you get a sense of space and character and it's a, it's about the characters. When I watch a Transformers movie, it just seems like a whole mash of noise and action and sound and fury signifying nothing. And I think, you know, check out Joe's books. George R. R. Martin is very good at this as well. Um, but yeah, there's, that's, that's the difference between those two. And again, I think any of this, it all comes down to character and forwarding the story. If, if your fight sequence or your sex scene or, or whatever it is isn't doing that, then yeah, you're going to have to work a way around it. Yeah, absolutely. And they say write what you know, don't they, Mark? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, on a, on a serious note, like I've never actually been in a proper fight. And I know I could watch fights till the day, till the, till the cows come home on TV. But actually, to like, like Michelle Paver said in an earlier episode, you know, sometimes you've got to go and ex try and experience altitude sickness up in the Himalayas or the Alps to to actually be able to write with authenticity and and these things like fight scenes it's like you know what is it real what is it really i'm not that i'm asking anyone to do this but what does it really feel like to get punched really hard in the face i do i know a lot of fantasy authors are larpers that's l-a-r-p live action role players and they will go along they would dress up uh, in jerkins or armor yeah, and yeah, they will yeah. have fights obviously not the same as um but they'll you know feel the adrenaline a bit like exactly. paintball you actually get absolutely a paintball of what it not that it's anything like real war but you think but you, oh my yeah, gosh i'd last two minutes it's that thing of make buzz. believe yeah it's that thing of yes. make believe which yeah. we do so well as children but as adults gets kind of kicked out of us so uh, I, I went paintballing with my kids in the last couple of years and and yeah you do get this great visceral sense I've also just had a horrible, horrible realisation, which is in our book, we have a sex scene, don't we? We do. We've outlined it. We haven't written it yet, but no. we've outlined it. Um, oh, God. Well, I, I know. <laughs> I know. Which is, which is pretty, like, all we'll say about the book is we talk a lot about going outside our comfort zones. We're trying to help people. <laughs> If you want going outside of comfort zones, you wait for this book because Mark and I are like, 
I mean, we're, you know, we're saying it's an experiment, but maybe oh, God, we're taking it. I feel like, do you remember that Clive James? I mean, people in the States might not know this, but um, you may have seen this this Japanese TV show called Endurance. Clive James <laughs> back in the 80s. <laughs> it was my favourite thing on a Sunday night. He used yeah. to show this clip of these Japanese game show where they'd put themselves through torture. They'd do things like um, magnifying glasses on their nipples, standing upside down <laughs> against, a, against a kind of aluminium pyramid. And, and just, they would put themselves through hell. And sometimes, it feels like we're doing that with this book we are way outside our comfort zones but we're doing it all for the cause aren't we really still at the very least we'll win the bad sex award well you know you know that can be quite good for sales i've heard but uh yeah i know morrissey from- won it for his book so you know we've been very good company yeah yeah that's fantastic well there you go there's a music link so uh excellent stuff i think that's so, where we need to wind I, it up don't you? yeah absolutely i think we're <laughs> Start with the broken arm and we end with the bad sex award. That's um, absolutely that's oh, that's a full show. You want to yeah, just to kind of prompt people for next week, I have to give a public uh, uh, announcement of a warning for next week's episode. It's the sweariest Uh, episode. It's the sweariest episode. Not not us, not us. I'll say, but our guest. (laughs) uh, Do you want to just give a quick, quick brief overview about who we've got next week, Mark? Sarah Pimbra is one of my favorite authors of all time. She writes everything. She writes YA. She's written erotic fairy tales. She's written what you might call sort of, uh, uh sort of fantasy crime novels. Um, and it's been a joy watching her career go through the roof over the last few years. She's now got a novel out called Behind Her Eyes, which I think is very much. Uh, you know, we're looking at those top 10 books with the girl on the train and behind closed doors. I think Sarah will be up there um, with those books next year. And she writes wonderfully. She's a very insightful writer. She's a hoot, an absolute hoot of an interview, but she doesn't hold back. Yes. She's very frank. She's very full on. If you listen to this in the car with kids or commuting or whatever, you might want to, yeah, you might want to invest in a pair of headphones uh, just for that one episode. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's terrific. You'll learn. You'll learn. <laughs> it's brilliant. So that brings us to the end of yet another incredible ride of journeying through this bestseller experiment. And we thank you so much for joining us. And Mark, remind people how they can find us. We are at the uh, bestsellerexperiment.com where you can sign up for the Vault of Gold, which is our ever expanding uh, free free ebook full of writing tips from the likes of Joan Harris, John Connolly, Michael Connolly, Brian Cranston, Joe Crombie, Michelle Paver. Uh, it's it's an ever growing list. Um, we're over thirty thousand words now. We're over a hundred pages long, and it's the book I wish I had when I'd started out. Uh, so just go to thebestsellerexperiment.com and sign up to our mailing list. You'll get that on return. Uh, we're on Facebook at Bestseller Experiment. We're on Twitter at Bestseller XP. We're on Instagram at Bestseller XP, and we're on Pinterest too. And you can follow us uh, personally on Twitter. I'm at Mark Stay, and my learned colleague here is at Four Thousand Saturdays. Four zero 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 Saturdays. I'm also blogging at unusuallytoolstories.com, which is my personal blog, but I've I've got a diary. I started keeping a diary about 10 years ago, and I'm writing about all the terrible mistakes I made as a writer 10 years ago, um, which has been both um, depressing and entertaining as well. And hopefully you writers out there can learn something from my (laughs) terrible mistakes. So uh, above all, above all, subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, please. We'll love you forever. Absolutely. And just a quickie for people who are interested in the kind of um, psychological side of life. I've started a a new series called The Four Foundations on my blog, 4000saturdays.com. And it looks into how our thoughts, our words and actions create our life. And you might find that very interesting through the writing process. That's at 4000saturdays.com. So thank you, Mark, for another incredible episode. Thank you to our guest, Shannon, for being so wonderfully inspiring. So it's goodbye from Mark 1. And it's goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye! Goodbye. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.